Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. So I've been praying for a while about where to head after the uh, Easter service as far as uh, studying the Word. And we're going to begin today uh, in a series of the book of Isaiah. And uh, probably going to break it into three sections is what it's looking like. Uh, If we stayed in all three sections the whole time, we might be here for quite a while. It's a big book. But uh, we're going to go maybe 20 chapters or so, and then we'll break again. Probably take about somewhere between 10 and 12, you know, messages each time. And so today we're going to start with that first section, and we're going to be looking in the first chapter of Isaiah primarily. But the first five chapters of Isaiah are, are pretty interesting, kind of tied together in terms of their focus. And, you know, we're familiar with Isaiah. A lot of the prophecies of our Lord Jesus come out of Isaiah in the latter part of Isaiah. And uh, we see Jesus throughout the whole book, and we definitely want to maintain that connection as we go through this series together. We also recognize uh, different themes going throughout uh, the book. And uh, in this first four or five chapters, we see a, a strong theme on the reality that there is a price to pay for the activity of our lives. We don't like to use this word, but it's a word used in the Word of God. It's called judgment. simply meaning that God's making a judgment, a judging decision for the activity taken. And so that's what Isaiah is going to be focusing on in the first four chapters or five chapters as led by Holy Spirit. You know, keep in mind also this, it's sometimes hard for us to remember, but we shouldn't have too much difficulty knowing that we're in faith. We've got to always remember when we talk about an author like Isaiah or like Paul or like whoever, whatever book we're reading, that it's not that person giving us the words that we have. It's the Holy Spirit speaking the heart of God through an individual. And so what we really have is not just Isaiah's words, we have God's words through Isaiah. So though we reference an individual or author, let's never lose sight of that. This is the word of God we're talking. These are God's words to us. Now, sometimes people forget also, though, that just because they are listed in the Bible, the words themselves, doesn't mean God approved of what took place, right? I mean, the prophet might be speaking about the wrong activity of the people. (laughs) Because it's in the Bible and that wrong activity is addressed, obviously God's not promoting the wrong activity, right? You know, so we want to understand that. Sometimes people... And get the idea that just because something's listed, let me give you an illustration. For example, in the Old Testament, we have various places of history reminding us of the polygamous times in the old in the Israelites' history. Does that mean God's okay with that? It doesn't mean that. That's the series, the place they were in as God was moving them along to the place He wanted them to be. But God gives us that history and that understanding along the way. It's God's word to reveal to us what was taking place. Okay? Well, no, his, no more history lessons. That's it. Yeah. So let's, let's think about Isaiah together. And God would speak to us through these first 
five chapters, and then we're going to focus primarily on chapter one. The consistent message of God in, the, in, in uh, this section of Scripture reveals to us that God wasn't real happy with the way His people were living and responding to His leadership. You think that's ever happened to God before or since? <laughs> Probably has. I mean, even in this day and time, we can come to grips with that, and we'll kind of end up with that eventually. Though God had done great and mighty miracles. Think about this. Think about what God had done in the life of His people prior to His speaking to, uh, uh, to them through the prophet Isaiah. I mean, they'd seen some big-time miracle stuff along the way, hadn't they? I mean, delivered them out of Egypt, seen them called together as a people, gave them a land. I mean, all kinds of stuff we can talk about. But nonetheless, even in spite of all that, there had been a drifting. They had been a kind of a drifting away from his place of authority, though they named it and recognized it by name, but not submitting to that authority. There had been a drifting away from really listening to his voice, desiring to do what he wanted them to do. So that's the condition Israel's in at the time that Isaiah comes. Think about that for a second. In such a situation, what is God to do? I mean, he's a loving God that loves his people, but he sees this happening. He's called him to himself into a special relationship. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And they said, yeah, we will be your people. We can go back to Mount Sinai and have that whole sermon there. They volitionally signed up for the relationship. That big word volitionally means they, was, they agreed. <laughs> okay. It was on their own terms, they agreed. And so here they are in this relationship, but as time goes on, things are not going the way they're supposed to be going. And so by the time you get to Isaiah, there's a mess in the heart and the mind of the people and the way they're living, and God's going to deal with that. What's he supposed to do? You know, sometimes we get this attitude that if he's a loving God, he's not going to do anything, right? I mean, we can get a handle on that sometimes when we're, we, you know, those of y'all still have kids in your home. Sometimes a kid acts as if the only way that you really love them is you let them do whatever they want to do, right? And then when you have to come across with, no, we're not going to do that, well, now they think that you're being mean. Well, then what's a parent to do? Just say anything goes? I mean, those of us that have been parents, we know, and, and God obviously reveals this to us, but those of us that have been parents know it's much easier to just say, do whatever you want to do. I don't care. Just don't bother me. Don't ask me to pay for it. But we can't do that, can we? Because we love too much. We love too deep. And so we go through that hard correctional phase, that hard place of being in a position of saying, let's learn the lessons and all this kind of stuff. That's what God's doing with his people. And when you, when you see those passages where God is correcting his people, don't... Don't let people tell you that the God of the Old Testament was a God of judgment and criticism and harshness. That's not true. God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Today, yesterday, and forever. God was just as much a loving God then as He is in the New Testament, okay? It's just the people wasn't responding well. and He's trying to bring them along the way. And he's dealing with what he has to do because he's a loving God. 
to get them where he, they want, he wants them to be. So that's where we're picking up in Isaiah. And we're seeing, you know, that many in the camp of Israel had kind of been become um, comfortable with the idea that they were God's people. I mean, there's all these people in the world, but God's called us out. We're the special group. They kind of got comfortable with that. As a matter of fact, their attitude had, had, had changed from what God wanted it to be. God wanted them to be a people that would minister to the nations, let the rest of the nation see what it's like when you follow God and what your country can be and what your people group can be, and that they would be blessed. Well, instead, though, they kind of took on this mentality of, man, look at us, we're God's people, you know? And they lost sight of what it was all about. They kind of become comfortable about being God's people and knowing that they could really live any old way they wanted to. That's kind of the attitude they took on. Why? Because they got this attitude that they could just take a lamb to the temple, they'd be fine. We'll just let the priest do another sacrifice or two and we'll just live any old way we want to. Now, lest you be too condemning to that group, a lot of people live in Christianity that way under the concept of grace thinking that we can just live any old way we want to because grace covers it all, right? That was never God's heart. God's heart was to bring people into a relationship with him and, and to have a deep commitment and relationship to one another and that it would always be a relationship and it never slip away into just being a religion. But that's what had happened. And for many, that's what happens today. So we need to beware as we go through here to pick up on the lessons that we need to pick up today, right? We'll come back to some scripture that will help us with that. So I want to focus on these, uh, this uh, theme in these first five chapters primarily by going to just the very first chapter. We're going to look at 20 verses together. And we're going to see what I think you will see over and over in the next three or four chapters. So we're not going to cover all those chapters together. You go read chapter 1 through 5, and I think you'll see this theme going through there, of God having to deal and pronounce judgment with the hope of a promise that's always there, but that he's going to be straight with them and tell them what the situation is and what's going on and, and, and that they've got to deal with this. And so let's pick it up in chapter 1, verse 1 through 20. We're going to read a passage together. So follow with me. You've got it on the screen there, and we'll see what God says to us about this. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, not Amos, Amos, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Now you, now you don't have to have any doubt, right? Clarify that for us. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They've turned away from Him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? Think about that phrase for a second. What else do I got to do? He's doing everything he can to help him see. What else? What's the next thing I'm going to have to do? I mean, God's trying to correct him. You know, one spanking didn't work. Maybe another one. No, maybe another one. No. What else am I going to have to do? The whole head is sick. 
The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's nothing sound in it. Bad predicament. Only bruises, welts, raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged, nor softened with oil. Your land is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your field strangers are, are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation is overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in the cucumber field, like a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we'd be like Sodom, we'd be like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. Every now and then, as we read the scripture we get to get a glimpse of the heartache of God. We lose sight of that a lot of times. We don't think about that side of it very often, do we? But here God exposes his heart, doesn't he? And lets us know what his heart's breaking. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I can't endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. In other words, they don't go together. It's not supposed to work like this. I hate your new moon festivals, your appointed feasts. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply your prayers, I'll not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Why would God say such a thing? Because he knows the hypocrisy of the heart when offered. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your skin, sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. There's that hope. There's that promise. They'll be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel... You'll be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning as we look at your word and get to see again a glimpse of your heart, what really matters to you, what you long for in relationship with your children, your creation. And so we say thank you again for loving us the way you do. This morning as we look at the uh, pilgrimage of the people of Israel and how you spoke to them through Isaiah and how that affects us even today in the fulfillment of the promise that you gave and then in the relationship we have today. Help us to be able to receive the truth and love. Help us, Lord, to be honest with where we are with you. Help us, Lord, to be thankful for the provision you've made. 
and then to walk in such a manner that is worthy of the calling you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So obviously you know, if you've been listening to the radio much these days or radio preaching much these days, this is not going to be a popular message. People don't want to talk about accountability and responsibility these days. We want to talk about just what, what's in it for us, right? But the reality is, if we gain uh, an appreciation for the truth that Isaiah is saying, we find out that there's something in this for us. And it's really all about the relationship God wants us to enjoy with him, what he desires for us to have, and that we would really buy into that. And buying into such a place that we would be willing to alter our lives to the place that honors Him. That He'll be blessed with what happens in our life. Well, as we go through this some together, let's just look for a moment this morning at four things that we see in chapter 1 of Isaiah about the relationship with God that He desires us to have with Him. And how He just kind of breaks it down for the people. You know, first thing I see as you're going through here, you'll see in those first four, five verses... Is God's desire for his people to know him, but pointing out to them the problem was they don't even recognize him anymore. And he wants, him, wants them to be honest with that. He wants them to kind of take stock of where they are in their heart and their mind and, and the condition of their life and to, and to own up to the fact that they don't even recognize his voice like they ought to. They're not familiar with his calling like they ought to be and his wooing of their spirit like they ought to be. They've lost the ability to recognize the voice of God. It's, it's so bad that it compares them to animals. <laughs> Come on, guys. Even an ox knows his maker or his master. Come on. Even a donkey knows where his manger is. But my people don't, as he shares that verse with us, you know. My people don't know and my people don't understand. Can you imagine the state of affairs? This is that group we were talking about earlier who's seen God do so many miraculous things in their life. And yet now they're at that place that God's having to say to them through his prophet, how is it that you don't even recognize me anymore? But that's where we are. I, if I look at verse 4, it's really... We go to that next verse, the last part of it. It's really interesting. Basically, in that next verse, in chapter verse four, uh, 4, I didn't have that one set up there separately for you. But it, it says there in another translation I had, I had looked at that they were absolutely estranged from him. I think it's the ESV. He doesn't have that up there. That they were really, it's just not, they're not even aware that they're not even close anymore. There's a separation almost. Not, not to the point that they're not his people, right? Because God loves us and we're his people. And, and as we take that into the New Testament covenant relationship, we understand that because of the blood of the Lamb that's purchased us. You know, that's a settled deal. But still, he wants no estrangement. He doesn't want us to get to the place that we're not recognizing his voice. He wants us to stay in close relationship. But they had gotten to the place that they were that far and distant away. I hope, I hope that's not the place we're in today. Individually, we all know where we are, right? If we'd be honest, by the way, do you know God knows? Don't ever lose sight of that. God knows your heart. 
You remember the verse, I, I've loved this verse for years, and I, as, I've, as I've walked with God, I've understood it more and more. When Jesus walked with the earth, did you know at one point it says he put no trust in the heart of man? Why? Because he knows it. <laughs> he knows what happens in the heart of man when they depend upon themselves. Well, let's go through this passage a little further, because Isaiah is really being used of God to help us understand this problem, to help the people of God, for sure, in that day to understand the problem, that not only had they drifted away, and they really weren't familiar with God's voice anymore, they really were kind of estranged in their relationship, you know, they didn't even acknowledge the fact that in their daily lives, they weren't acknowledging the fact that He is their God. But beyond that, as he would try to discipline them, as a loving father would, we'll come back to that later, believe it or not, that's the activity of a loving father. It's much easier to not do that. <laughs> but in his loving activity of trying to discipline them back to a relationship with him, their reaction to that was rebellion. Their reaction to that was kind of become a little bit Stiff-backed, you know, a little bit brazened in their face, so to speak. And instead of responding to the discipline of the Lord, let's look at verses 5 through 9. Actually, I want to really just look at 5 and 6 for a second. In this whole section, you see them kind of uh, uh, responding with rebellion. And, and their lives as a result... By the way, you want to answer that question to yourself. What is the result of responding to God with rebellion. <laughs> Isaiah helps us see it by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It is to see your life end up devoured. Interesting, because our flesh tends to want to think the opposite way. Our flesh thinks that when we rebel, we get what we want, and when we get what we want, it's better for me, right? But it's the opposite. In rebellion, for the child of God, discipline will come and the devouring of your own flesh will be the result. <laughs> you don't end up flourishing. <laughs> you end up being devoured. So look here in verse 5. Where will you be stricken again? And he goes through that and re uh, to, uh, as you continue rebellion. And he talks about now over the next couple of verses the fact that everything's being devoured. You know, your head, whole head is sick. Your whole heart is faint. You know, you don't, you don't even have the strength to be who you're supposed to be. So rebellion had devoured their lives. In verse 7 and 9, you find out that they had left themselves open for the attack of the enemy as a result of their rebellion. Go to verse 7 for a second as you go down through that. Your land's desolate. Your cities are burned. Fields of strangers are devouring them in your presence. Interesting, isn't it? We lose sight of all this. We're talking about the cost of rebellion right now. It's a high price to pay. When in our flesh, we think rebellion gets us what we want. Right? But in reality, rebellion is an extreme price to pay on myself. I'm going to be the one that pays the price for that. And here, I opened up myself to the attack of the enemy. Israel had opened up themselves to the attack of the enemy as a result of the rebellion. So God's greatest 
blessing was their, was their good, but they had lost sight of that. God's blessing was their greatest good. They had lost sight of that and lost sight of the awareness of his presence and, and instead are reaping the results of rebellion. Let me just throw an aside here if I can. I want you to hope, hope you can get a hold of this and tuck it in somewhere and never lose sight of it. It's a verse of scripture out of Psalm 73. The nearness of God is your good. You need to understand something. One of the greatest values in your life. As a matter of fact, you may never have much in your life of greater value than what I'm about to say. The nearness of God is your good. The closer you are in your heart and your relationship with God, the more soft and subtle and changeable and pliable and compliant that keeps you close to God because there's no rebellion, that is your good. The more you honor and protect that, the more blessed your life's going to be because you're reaping the results of submission to your holy God that you have walked in, that you come into relationship with. Don't lose sight that the nearness of God is your good. But here's what your flesh is going to tell you the rest of your life and the rebellion of the enemy that's going to attack if you open the door through rebellion. The enemy's going to tell you God loves you and you can get as far away from him as you want to as long as you don't cross the line. That's what he's going to tell you. And then when that happens, estrangement happens is what we just saw here in this passage. And we lose that sense of nearness. We lose that sense of closeness. And rebellion devours and destroys the most valuable blessing that we have in this life. And that is the closeness of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in us. I didn't say you lost your sonship or your daughtership. <laughs> if that's such a word. You don't, I don't believe you lose that if you really got that. But boy, you can mess up that relationship. And that's not what God wants. God wants that closeness to stay there. So rebellion had kind of destroyed things in their life, messed things up, got them to the point that they could not really see the goodness of God in His presence, and they couldn't, they couldn't uh, 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 enjoy listening to His voice and direction the way they should. What had really happened here, you see in verse 10 through 15, what had taken place in their life is religion took over relationship. And that's what you see. Let's just go through these verses and see if that's not true. Hear the word of the Lord to you. Give ear to the instruction of God, your people, uh, you people of Gomorrah. And now he's going to tell them, here's what's happened to you. You think your religion is what I want. And it's not what I want. As a matter of fact, I wish you'd just not do anything instead of just doing that and thinking that's what I want. So he says, I've, I've had enough of your burnt offerings, your multiplied sacrifices. I've had enough of your rams, your you know, fat of fed cattle. I don't take pleasure in, pleasure in your blood of bulls, your lamb or goats. All the religious activity you go through that, know, that you think puts you in good spot with me, I, I'm just kind of tired of it. That's a, thus says Chris, not the Lord interpretation. <laughs> but that's the gist of it, right? When you come to me to appear before me, who requires this stuff of you trampling my... Why would you, God say that, that you're trampling my cords? Because, you know, we get in the New Testament a clear verse that helps us 
capsulize this whole thing. It says this. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, what he reaps. And we forget the first part of that verse. You know, it, that first part of that verse really speaks to my heart. God is not mocked. Don't think God doesn't know. <laughs> Don't think God doesn't know when you bring the sacrifice that is just a routine ritual as opposed to a heart that's in love with your father. Don't think God doesn't know when you go through the religious motions that you think you're supposed to go through that makes you a quote-unquote good Christian. Somebody please define that for me. You're either Christian or you're not, right? And if you're Christian, then you are a follower of Christ. And God is not mocked. And so he just kind of spells it out in these verses, and we can go on through that, but he's really, the core of what he's saying is, I don't really care about your religion. Yeah, that taught you a lot, and there is meaning there if it's in your heart. It's valuable to your life to follow, but what I'm after is your heart. And if your heart's not in it, guess what? You're not in it. And so God's after them getting a clear picture of that. So, that. so that when they walk through the day, along the way, they're constantly in fellowship with Him. Not just when they come to the temple. Not just when they bring the sacrifice. Not just when they go through the motions. Not just when you come on Sunday morning. Or when you go to a Bible study. Or when you do the things that people say you're supposed to do. <laughs> But there is this constant, continual fellowship, relationship with the Creator of all that there is. And so he's helping his people get refreshed on what it's really all about. So much so that he wants them to understand, you know I'm not mocked, verse 15, so if you're bringing this stuff thinking that you're appeasing me, thinking that you're somehow going to get your prayers answered, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and if I do, then God has to bless me. Really? Well, he promised he would. Yeah, he did. And he will keep his promise. What about you keeping yours? Did you know there's tons of things in the Scripture that are causal? You know what causal means? If then, if then. We think that after we come to Christ that somehow or another that disappears, but that's not true. If you look throughout the New Testament, it's all over the place there too. That God responds to our honesty and relationship with Him. The only thing that changes on causal when it relates to relationship with God in the New Testament is that there is zero dependency on your effort to get you to heaven. That's all settled in Christ Jesus and His blood, okay? But in terms of the blessing of the relationship and the fellowship that you walk in, the blessing of God's, I mean, the, the uh, pouring out of God's blessing upon you, there is causal relationship in that. That's why you see in the body of Christ sometimes the blessing of God pouring all over one person that's a Christian and another person that's a Christian seems to constantly struggle. Why is that? What's that? Well, oftentimes, yeah. 
Oftentimes that's the case. You know, it's either that or God's disciplining them to learn some things or teaching them, giving them a trial so they grow. But past that, what about the other one, how this is happening? Maybe they've been through all that stuff some, somehow, but now they're in this place of just submission. Does that mean they're not still growing? Oh, yeah, they're still going to grow. <laughs> they're still going to be taught and they're still going to be disciplined. But there is a causal relationship. Not causal in the sense of approval to get to heaven. You've got to separate that. That's settled in Christ Jesus. You are righteous fully based on His righteousness. But you walk in the blessing of God and the pouring out of His blessings on you because you don't quench the Holy Spirit. Because you don't resist the Holy Spirit. You see those scripture verses are in there. What's the other one? Quench, resist, and because you don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And how do I make sure of that? Well, I walk in a submitted heart to God that I communicate with all the time, 24-7. The moment he speaks to me about something, I can deal with that. Not just once or twice a week or whenever, you know, some super spiritual moment's happening. But as I'm walking down the aisle at Kroger's, yeah, I've had, some, I've had the Lord speak to me in stores before like that. I'm just walking down the aisle, and all of a sudden I thought, oh, man, you're right, I need to deal with that. Or, yeah, thank you, Lord, I appreciate that, I need, I need to see that. It's, way, it's ought to be happening like that, and, and God's desperate for us to understand. And he was all the way back in the days of Isaiah with the people of Israel, He's desperate for humanity to understand. You can have a genuine, ongoing, 24-7 relationship with God Almighty to the point that you're in communion all the time. Listen, how many times am I going to grieve the Holy Spirit when I'm staying in fellowship with Him and walking in submission to Him? It won't happen, will it? Now, I know the probability of living in this life is you're going to have some disruptions, right? But I'm just telling you that if you walk in submission to the Holy Spirit, you don't have to grieve Him. So what happens? Why do I end up grieving Him? Well, I, I get out of fellowship somewhere. I get distracted somewhere. I get, I get my eyes on the wrong thing somewhere. The next thing you know, I'm struggling and I'm not walking in submission. And, and as a result, I end up a bit of a nature of rebellion and the next thing you know I'm missing blessing and, and we can go on and on and on preach the sermon two or three different ways but you get the point point. and what God's after is for us to walk in sweet relationship with him now here's the deal just like then and just like now we'll close from some verses here to, to support it but just like then God knew his people didn't have what it takes <laughs> On their own. And so he offers, he offers a, a plan for them. You struggle, and I get it. I know you'd struggle. So I'll tell you what let's do. Let's sit down together and talk about this. That's what he says. Come, let's reason together. Let's sit down and talk about this. Let's be honest. What's the point of the struggle? How did you end up where you are? What is it that caused you to grieve? What is it that caused you to resist? What's the issue inside of you that, and I, people don't want me to say this, but this is bottom line. 
What is it inside of you that's causing you to feel like I'm not enough and you need a little something else? Let's talk about that. And if we can get honest about that, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. They're the red like crimson, they can be like wool. Here's your hope. If we get honest about it and we get real with you, we're with him, then he can deal with whatever issue we're dealing with and we can be restored back to where we were. That's where they were in that day through the, through the working of God speaking through his prophets. But today, it's, it's so much better. <laughs> we got indwelling in us the presence of the Holy Spirit that wants us to walk in a place of reasoning 24-7. <laughs> where he's constantly able to speak to us when we find ourselves off kilter a little bit, or we sense that he's telling us something's not right. Hey, let's reason together in the Spirit, Spirit to Spirit. And let's have this relationship where we can be honest with each other, and I can tell you when there's a problem. And by the way, Chris, you want it to go well for you? You remember with the kids? That was planned. You want it to go well for you? All you got to do is what I say. It's that easy. That's all. Well, yeah, but... Okay, well, you might struggle in that area then. We might have a few problems. But if you can get to that place that you can fully trust and say, okay, if you show me and you direct me and you say it, and I want it to go well with me, I'm just going to say, okay, Father. I'm happy to do it. And I'm just going to move in that direction. I'm going to set my mind on things above, not on things of the earth. I'm going to remember Colossians 3.1, that my life is gone, that I have died in Christ, and now I'm alive in Him. And when I get to that place, now my life's His life. It's not my life. It's His life, living through this fleshly body by the grace of God. So, he tells the Israelites, Here's the deal. Here's what I want you to do. Just get cleaned up. How do we do that? Jesus. Settle that for sure. Know without a shadow of a doubt you have surrendered your heart to Jesus and accepted his work on the cross for the penalty of your sin. That's your first bath in the Spirit. But now as you've walked on with him, if you found yourself somehow lose sight, somehow get distracted, somehow get off kilter, then you're kind of where the Israelites are. And he would say, all right, you don't need to be cleaned up in the sense that you are filthy and I can't accept you because I see you through Jesus. But we've got to somehow address these problems that are causing grievance between us. Let's get honest about it. Let's get those out of the way. And so he tells them, then the next thing is to do what? Just do the right thing. That's hard, isn't it? Not really. Just do the right. Look at the last few verses there. I'm going to close with that. I, by the way, I've, I've got 10 or 12 verses here in the New Testament that's the same stuff. So if you're one of those people thinking, well, that's Old Testament stuff. That's not New Testament stuff. Stick around. I'll give you a, an addendum to the sermon, okay? And we'll, we'll talk about those verses. Very strong verses about God's desire for us to walk in submission. But anyway, in these verses, he says clearly... Uh, go on to the next verse. If you can, oh, let me back up. I'm sorry, go back prior to. Let's go to seven, 16, 17. 
In those two verses at 16 and 17, here it is. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds in my sight. What's that mean? Cease to do evil. Just do the right thing. Quit doing the wrong thing. Cease to do evil. Do the right thing. Look at that. Learn to do good. You know, when I know it's the right thing to do, I want to do it. Learn to do the good stuff. Seek justice. Quit trying to cheat people. Reprove the ruthless. Put, quit putting your stamp of approval on everything that's wrong. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Then he goes into, here's what really has to happen. Let's reason together. Let's get cleaned up. And in Christ Jesus, we have that. And then in Hebrew, I'm going to just read this one verse for you out of Hebrews as we close for us in the New Testament. It's in chapter, uh, you got it up there probably, I think, don't you, 12? Five through seven, there you go. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And these are New Testament words for people who are following God. Nor faint when you are reproved by him. Don't regard lightly as discipline, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And this, word, this verse here freaks out some people because old terminology. But essentially God's saying, sometimes i got to spank you. And it's not that I'm wanting to hurt you. Do you know when the spanking comes? When's the spanking come, parents? Is that the first thing on your list? It's never the first thing on the list. The first thing on the list is correction, insight, you know, direction. Here's what you need to do, clarification, all that stuff. The spanking comes when, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. All right. Got nothing left. Maybe this will get you attention. Chris, go out and get you a green switch off a tree. Why a green one? <laughs> if it breaks... I'm going to pick it, and we're not done yet. That was my grandma. <laughs> Listen, for you think that she was abusing me, one of the best things that ever happened in my life was that she loved me enough to want to make sure that I understood the difference between right and wrong, between obedience and disobedience. So God's not into abuse you know, and physical punishment. That's not what this verse is saying. It's saying he loves his children so much if he has to see them go through suffering to the point of getting them to understand and get it, he's willing to go through the heartache pain of participating in that. That's deep love. Go on, rest verse. It is, your, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It just means that there's not a deep enough love. You know. But he does love us. Have you, have you gone through in the last season of your life a challenge and you wonder why? God doing this, that, or the other thing? Or why is this not happening the way I want? Or why am I having to go through this issue? Have you considered possibly God might be trying to get your attention?
that he might be wanting to help you learn something. And he wants to bring you to a place that you'll acknowledge that and say, okay. You know, I've had seasons in my life where God's had to do that. And for too many times to tell you this, I hate to, have to tell you, but many times it was for the same stupid things. And I would come back to God and say, God, here I am again. And I know I'm messing up on this thing right here. I need your help. Oftentimes I'm going to God saying, God, I know me. I can't deal with this one on my own. I've tried. <laughs> I need your help. And that's when the ball starts to, to roll again. That's when the corner is starting to be turned, right? And I, I begin to sense the Holy Spirit directing me and enabling me. And next thing you know, I'm realizing, man, life's good. But it's all about really appreciating my Father's love, my Father's discipline. Just wanting me to enjoy that great relationship with Him. God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He was like that from the beginning. He's still like that. He loves us that much. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we just uh, want to say thank you. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.